Greetings, everyone. This is Jim Emmerich. Welcome to the Chointcast, interviews and short stories from across the world that connect us with people who wish to share their stories about leadership, where this passion comes from, and the goodness that results. In episode 21, we meet Lisette Sutherland, who describes herself as a remote, working, German-born American living in the Netherlands who is totally jazzed by the fact that it is possible to work from anywhere. Not just possible, but completely, productively workable, if you do it right. Lisette is a public speaker, workshop leader, and the director of Collaboration Superpowers, a company that helps people work together from anywhere through online and in-person workshops. Welcome, everyone. We're going to talk today with Lisette Sutherland, and she is the director of Collaboration Superpowers, a, a great name, and a remote team manager at Happy Melly. Welcome, Lisette. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I do want to let the audience know, uh, where, where, are you, where are we speaking to you today from? Today, I'm in Delft, the Netherlands, a very cold, foggy, cold day in the Netherlands. Okay, well, I'm I'm talking to you from Florida, and actually, it's foggy here, but I bet it's a bit warmer. So, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so. So before we get started, tell tell the audience what are what are some of your favorite causes? Oh, interesting. So recently, I've been really um, affected by the the what's happening in Syria, and was trying to figure out what I could do. So one of my causes has been to uh, donate to Doctors Without Borders, and that's one that I've been really I'm interested in just because I feel like there's so I mean, we're uh, in the Netherlands. There's a, we have a lot of refugees, and there were some refugees in the city that I was living in. There was a refugee camp, and I could see. Um, I, I just wanted to do something, so that's uh, I, I chose Doctors Without Borders. They had a great reputation. Fantastic, you know. And there's I was I was just speaking with someone in Colombia last week, who's who's in the military, and he mentioned that they had one million refugees. One million from, oh, wow. from Venezuela, and when you've got a country of thirty million or so, that's that's crazy. So how do we how do we find you online? You're obviously a very online person. What are the best ways to find you in collaboration superpowers? Yeah, that's true. I practically live online. I'm like chained to my computer in a healthy way. Um, but I I really love Twitter and LinkedIn. Those are my two favorite platforms um, for meeting and talking with people. So if you're gonna uh, if you if people want something from me, then I definitely recommend email because uh, I get so many messages on so many different platforms that they just tend to get lost. So uh, if you really want something from me, then email. But if you want to just connect and uh, you know hang out and no uh, no response time, then uh, Twitter and LinkedIn are the best places. Super. Now, I think I've got a little feel for collaboration superpowers, but on your LinkedIn profile, you also list, and it's also in your book, you are you are part of an organization called Happy Melly, and I'm just trying to figure out what that's all about. So Happy Melly, it uh, it has morphed over the years, and uh, when it started, it was a an organization of businesses, so a network of various businesses, whose main value was to help people be happier at work. And one of the businesses was Management 3.0. Um, they're helping people be better at work through modern leadership practices. Another one is Lean Change with uh, Jason Little. So they're running Lean Change management programs. And then my company was also one of those um, uh, companies under that umbrella. We're helping people be happier by giving them more flexibility and freedom. 
So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I started there as sort of a sponsor of the organization. And then now, um, as the team has grown, I moved into a remote office management role so that I could practice what I preach. So, you know, it's really easy to get on stage and say, this is how you deal with conflict on a remote team. But it is uh, much more humbling to be on a remote team and to have to deal with conflict on a regular basis. So I kind of feel like I mean, I could I could make my living based on just collaboration superpowers alone, but I have stayed with Happy Melly, one, because I love the cause. That's another cause that I like. Um, I love the people, and it keeps me really humble to be in that position. Fantastic. Well, and, it, and it's a great way to bring the two together, it sounds like, especially with the practice. Now, what's really brought us together is your book, Work Together Anywhere, which which is being blasted on social media. But let's let's turn to to that book and like the core of it. Lisette, when did you first realize that remote working was a lifestyle you would embrace? You know, it was uh, it was about 10, 15 years ago when I was working for a company in Los Angeles that was building an online project management tool. And that was where I really first experienced working with a distributed team. And my job at that company was to research other online project management tools and to see how what they were doing and who their customer base was and what their products looked like. And I sort of... Um, uh, I've been a tool junkie, I think, since the beginning, and uh, I sort of got wrapped up in that job and just um, got obsessed with what people were doing. And when I saw the potential of what we could do if we got the right people working together from anywhere, uh, that's when I, the sort of an obsession began because I thought, oh, my God, think of the problems we could solve if we could just get the right people together to you know, put the right heads together. We could solve some really important things. So that, that's where it all started. Well, it makes sense then that a benchmarking exercise led to this because in your book, in Work Together Anywhere, you interviewed over 80 directors and managers whose business models actually depend on successful bridging distance. That's, that's a lot of people to talk to. What kinds of observations in common did you notice from these innovators? What did they learn growing these enterprises? Well, you know, it's it's hard to say what they learned uh, growing these. One is uh, okay. There, okay, I can say a few things. One is there is no one right way to get remote working right. That was something that came across in in many many different interviews. What works for one team won't necessarily work for another. Uh, just because tools and the way we work and our behaviors are so closely linked, um, it's just like you need the you need tools for the right you know you need different tools for different personalities almost, and every team has its own personality. Um, so that's something that uh, that came across very strongly was there's no one right way. It's a series of experiments, and the other thing that surprised me was how reluctant some people were to try new things. So, you know, everybody's got Skype for business, for example. It's built into Microsoft Teams. And uh, it's really, if you go to an organization and you say, hey, there are way better tools out there than Skype for business, and this is really holding your organization back, it's still extremely difficult for organizations to, to research new tools or want to even integrate new tools into their platforms. So uh, those were a couple of things that surprised me. Hmm. Well, it's interesting you were talking about fears and not wanting to change. That's a perfect the perfect setup for for what is a question that probably a lot of the audience would want to know is what's what's the typical manager and I'm using the term intentionally manager. What's the typical manager's biggest fear about remote workers 
and compare to that what's actually the hardest part about remote working? Yeah, it's a it's a total contradiction. So I think the biggest fear is that people won't get their work done, that people are going to just go lay on the couch and watch Netflix. Um, and actually, it's the op the exact opposite is true. People like one of the number one reasons that people want to go remote is for productivity reasons, because there's a lot of interruptions at the office. Um, you know, and then there's a lot more quiet at home. So it's not also working at home, it's working from where you're most productive. Maybe it's a co-working space, maybe it's, you know, a client office, It's it just depends for, for people. So the biggest problem for remote workers seems to be that they can't turn off because we can be connected 24 seven and maybe we're working with various time zones or some of us really like our work, it's really hard to turn off. And so managers are really afraid that people are gonna be lazy and actually the real fear should be around how do you keep people from burning out? It seems there's an, an existing analog for that. I've, I've been traveling for, for decades and it seems to me when we're on travel, if we're a productive person, we also can't shut off. Order room service in the hotel and you go right back onto your laptop because you're almost you're almost captured by the travel experience. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, the same thing I would say for for remote. I mean, it's so easy to stay online, and you know these apps are made. Social media is made to engage you, so they're you know it's not just by chance. And when I it's interesting because when I see my niece and my nephew who are four and two respectively, they already on, you know, if they watch YouTube, they already know how to skip ad. Uh, they know how to, to how to use all the controls. They know where to find everything. I mean, it is highly addictive. So people should not, you know, being online is a highly addictive experience. So that, that should not be taken lightly. And I think that also adds to the fact that people are burning out because one it's hard to turn off and two it's made to be hard to turn off you know right so uh, we're it's a couple things working against each other there it's like that comment you meant before about the tools tying to personalities well maybe the makers of the tools understand our personalities and uh that's a little oh yeah i mean it's a little creepy <laughs> well they all have you know there's user experience testing that they do i mean it's people don't make apps lightly they know what they're doing and uh and and it's smart the way they're doing it it just happens to be um that people really need to then take personal responsibility for their own boundaries and their own time and it's very hard to do so let's return to this kind of classical manager position again because i really think the the book is is targeting that that audience Let's say you're a classical manager and you're nervous about having remote workers, but you're listening to someone talk about it. Can you briefly outline what is what it means to actually think of location as the variable and how we can approach hiring and building a team as a result? Well, uh, what I always recommend, and maybe I'm not sure if I'm going to be answering this question exactly the way you meant it, but what I always recommend for people who are transitioning um, if you want to make location the variable, then you really have to make sure that everything's accessible from anywhere and your communication is really easy to do. So when people are just transitioning, I always recommend do the transition slowly, as slowly as you can in some instances, because changing from a co-located culture to a remote culture is a change in culture and it should not be underestimated. It will change the way people are working and communicating together. Um, so doing it slowly. And what I mean by that is, you know, instead of everybody calling in from wherever they are, try calling in from individual offices in a conference room where you're still in the office and see what the problems are going to be there. And then maybe do one day per week where people are working from somewhere else and then go to two days per week and then, but really sit down and do 
deliberate experiments and do them slowly because you you're not going to know what you can't anticipate. Is that the right? Yeah, you're not going to know what's coming down the pipeline. So, uh, so really small steps where there, there are no big explosions is what I recommend. And then for making location the variable, I mean, really, if you can make your company remote first, and what I mean by remote first is um, if you can put, even if you don't plan to allow for having remote workers, if you have the processes and systems in place to be able to work remotely uh, or from anywhere, your company will only be stronger for it. Because, for instance, if there's bad weather or transportation problems or your kids are sick or their plumbers coming between 9 and 7 p.m., um, you know, work shouldn't have to stop just because you can't get to the office. Um, so I, I would say for any company, that's it's really – for me, the, the biggest driving factor should be uh, the fact that you want to have a, a less vulnerable company. You want to have a company that's not prone to whatever the weather is. You, know, you should be able to keep going no matter what. It's interesting. A number of my clients here in the States have one day a week where many of the people are working remotely. And I hadn't even thought about that with all these storms, that the winter storms that were here recently – they could have just said, let's just not do it one day this week, since they probably had all of those tools and structure in place. That would be a, a really nice countermeasure when you're hit with something like a, a big blizzard. Oh, for sure. We just had a big winter storm in the Netherlands, too. And all day long, the whole news was filled with traffic reports from all the accidents and and uh, you know the, the traffic jams from people on the road from the weather. And I thought, well, geez, it was, sure would be nice if we didn't have to send people out into these terrible conditions. It'd be great if many people could just work from wherever they are. When reading your book, I couldn't help returning to thinking about the knowing-doing gap. And that's Pfeffer and Sutton's wonderful book, The Two Stanford Guys. They've always emphasized knowledge sharing as a major organizational performance discriminator, or put another way, a way of crossing the knowing-doing gap. It seems this would be required for remote workers. Can you comment on that, how remote working facilitates knowledge sharing? Yeah, you know, with remote work, if you're out of sight, you're out of mind in general. And that's exactly what we don't want on a remote team. So what I say, I think repeatedly in the book is that remote teams need to work out loud. And what I mean by that is they they need to make their work observable to other people on their team in a way that's meaningful. So I'm not saying you have to spam people with what you're doing all day, but you do need to figure out ways where people can see what you're working on uh, throughout the day. So for some people that's, you know, for programmers, that's uh, that's GitHub or where they're looking at the code, um, where you can see what code people are committing or, you know, usually uh, programming teams ha- are, are agile, so they have daily sp- uh, daily stand-up meetings and retrospectives and sprint reviews. So, you know, they're really, they really see what's going on on their team in a very observable way. For other teams, it could maybe be a, a Slack channel where you can post what you're doing or maybe the uh, the status on your instant message uh, could be updated with what you're doing. There, there's many different ways to work out loud. It's really up to each team to figure out what will work best for them. But it shouldn't be that you know you just go and retreat into your cave somewhere, do work, and then reappear when it's done. So knowledge sharing on remote teams, it's almost a natural way of working uh, because you want to know what your colleagues are doing because you need to be interacting and collaborating with them as if you were in the office together. 
I love it. It and I agree. It seems it seems very natural. When I, when I read the knowing doing gap, it seemed there were so few companies on the planet that are actually doing it well. So it seems to me a remote working is going to facilitate a lot more of that. On page twenty seven, I call it a wake up call. You 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 have this wake up call to anyone who's who actually seeks the best talent, citing trends suggesting that companies that don't offer the remote option are actually endangering their long-term viability. And that, that was an earthquake comment to me. Can you share an example where you've observed this? Uh, you know, it's interesting, yes. Uh, I have a couple of friends who, because of their family life, they, they need to work from home or they need to, yeah, so because they need to be with their family more often. So one of my friends is a QA tester, one of the best I've ever seen. We used to work together and people raved about him. He, he does QA for quality assurance for software development, and he will only work for companies that allow the remote option because he needs to be there for his family. The other one is also a software developer. He has a sort of the same uh, circumstances he also has. So now the, the, he also has a requirement that he needs to work remote. So there's many examples like this of people who are awesome at what they do and are no longer willing to go into uh, uh, an office in order to do their work. They're, they have other priorities. They still want to work, of course, because they're, they're great at what they do. I mean, my friend Abe is I mean, he loves QA testing. He writes blog posts about it. You know, he's constantly reading about it and doing talks and things like that about it. So he's really into it, but he needs to be able to work remotely. And I think that there is a huge talent pool out there from uh, from various countries, from uh, people who are disabled, so they're physically not able to get to a location, or military spouses who are constantly on the move. There is a huge pool of people out there who are qualified for work who are either unable or unwilling to, to go to a specific location to do it. So yeah, I think that companies are really going to lose out in the end on some really smart, ambitious talent just because uh, they have a location requirement. It's a genuinely transformative thought, especially in the states now, with the labor market really tightening up. Uh, there's you just dropped in a whole bunch of really good ideas for someone who wants to seek a, a different type of talent pool that perhaps they hadn't thought of before. Well, and also pricing. I mean, a software developer in Vietnam costs significantly less than a developer in San Francisco with the same skill set. So that I mean, I just think that that is something companies can't ignore. If we can make the remote thing work, if you can make it work in your company, your options open up. I mean, you know, your your options open up to to include the entire world. Now, I would say I don't advise working with time zones that are really far apart. But in, you know, you still have all of, if you're in the U.S., you still have all of South America where there is a huge pool of very, very talented people who you don't have to pay San Francisco prices to. I mean, that's a, I think that's a big deal. It sounds like a no-brainer. You know, speaking of uh, statistics, yeah, we've been we've been talking at the beginning. Your book is just chock full of demographic stats that I think will shock a lot of people. Can you tell us one or two that you think would surprise the audience the most? One thing that surprised me was how many people 
said that they would be more loyal to their employers if they had the flexible work option. So this came out of a flex job survey um, in 2017. And in that survey, they said 79% of respondents said they would be more loyal to their employees if they had flexible work options. And also there was a global analytics report uh, that came out a couple of years ago that also said something like 69% of the people were planning on leaving their jobs, um, even for lower pay, similar or lower pay if the other job offered a flexible option. So for me, in terms of employee retention, clearly people want flexibility. You know, it's... it's That 79% stat where you said more more loyal, I, I can see that as a reciprocal thing because if, if you're going to allow someone to re work remotely, it's, it's saying that you trust them more. And if you're going to trust somebody more, they're probably going to be more loyal. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, also, you're treating them like an adult professional. So somebody can say, hey, I'd like to, you know, train for a triathlon, and thus I need a little bit more flexibility in my schedule. Or for example, uh, a friend of mine here in the Netherlands, he has to hire somebody to take his kids to school, because the job where he works requires him to be at the office before school starts. So you can imagine the loyalty he feels to that company. I mean, he, I, I can't imagine he's going to be there very long. But the fact that he has to hire somebody. He's got to be in that 69% category. And that's 100%. It's, it's a perfect segue because how prevalent do you believe, let's call that because you call it out in the book, how prevalent do you believe hours-oriented work still is in today's workplace and how that focus usually changes when you go to a remote work environment? Well, I think it's hu it's still hugely prevalent in the workplace, although becoming less and less so. But still, I go to, I mean, I do workshops at companies all over the world, um, companies who even want to be remote, but their CEO, you know, will just say to me, hey, but if they're not here, I don't, I'm not thinking about them. So I need them to be here because I, you know, we need to be here at a certain time. So I think it's a weird way of measuring productivity because back in the day when I worked in an office, I can tell you, I mean, thankfully there was no social media, but there's plenty of other ways to waste time online at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, talking with your friends and chatting that, you know, back and forth. So being measuring productivity via hours, um, yeah, maybe that was the way it was done in the past, but measuring people based on what they accomplish seems like a far better measure of productivity to me. And so when you go remote, that is really the only thing you have to measure is did the person get the work done on time and is it of high quality? So that's what people get judged on rather than are they in the office Monday through Friday from nine to five. It seems that being an effective remote team leader, maybe like you with Happy Melly, it seems you would have to have many of the same characteristics of, of a good performance coach. Can you can you comment on that? Uh, yeah, I'm you know I'm not so familiar with performance coaches. I don't I haven't had I don't have a performance coach. I don't know that many companies that do. But what I can imagine is, um, with a remote team. You really need the instead of managing and micromanaging, what remote teams need is a leader to set the direction and then to take the roadblocks out of the way. So essentially, your job is, okay, team, we're going in this direction. Let me know what the roadblocks are so that as you're doing your work, I can set you up for success. So if that's, you know, hey, we don't have the right tools, well, then the leader needs to get the right tools. If uh, if the team is not in alignment, then the, need, the leader needs to be there to get the team in alignment. But I think it's a lot more 
setting direction and giving the team autonomy than it is micromanaging. I think that's a real switch from uh, from management of the past to leadership of the future. I agree. Everything you said after setting the direction, perhaps, that the actual leader does in terms of the remo removing the roadblocks, providing the tools, uh, maintaining alignment, those uh, are all characteristics of effective performance coaches. So I think we're we're completely in sync on that one. So here's, here's, oh, here's, here's our last our last question, Lisette. It's one of the real treats in the book, and you mentioned having a leadership journal. In fact, you were you mentioned specifically a Ryan Chartrand of X Team. So, do you have a leadership journal, and how do you benefit from having one if you do? I use. I'm totally product plugging here, but uh, I'm in love with Michael Hyatt's Full Focus Planner, and that is what I use for my leadership journaling. So it's uh, it's the way where I set goals for myself, personal and professional, um, and it allows me to sort of track my goals along the way. I do weekly retrospectives for how did I do this week, what do I need to do next week, um, and then I make notes along the way for, you know, what, what could I do better? How did this make me feel? Uh, what, what else can I improve? What behaviors am I going to stop next week uh, that I did this week? Um, what worked and what didn't? So that is what I use as my leadership journal, and uh, I really love it. How long have you been doing that, Lisette? About a year and a half. And I've never missed my weekly retrospective. <laughs> Not That's once. That's super cool because when we bring up journaling in our leadership excellence courses, the, the eyes glaze over. Someone will talk about having written something in the past or someone who worked in the government had the you know an ugly green notebook that they wrote stuff in. But almost all of those things were a catalog of daily events, not the things that you were saying. A weekly retrospective, what am I going to start doing or stop doing the next week? And that was a great testimonial. So just looking ahead, you sound like a pretty busy person. Any fun projects or things we should know about that are coming up next for you? Uh, well, I am on right now doing a lot of speaking in a lot of different countries. So that's exciting. So a lot of speaking and workshops coming up. Um, and that's going to be my main focus for the next year is just to be on the road promoting the book. And it sounds weird. Like, why am I not doing it remotely? <laughs> it's like I could appear, all, you know, in, in webinars all over the place. I'm also doing that. I'm also appearing in webinars all over the place. But um, there's oftentimes people want me to come to a conference and be there in person to deliver uh, presentations or workshops there. And, uh, and uh, I love doing it. I love traveling to new places. So uh, that's what I'm doing. And then other like personal projects, I'm learning how to do a handstand. And I've got to take my, take my Dutch exams this year, uh, which I've just been putting off. Now, what are those? Uh, I've got to take a, it's a language exam. And when I pass the language exam, I'm able to get my Dutch passport. So I've got a huge motivator to do that. I'm just waiting for them to open up the exams again. Somebody uh, shared the answers on social media, and so they had to close down the exams and create a new one for this year. So I'm just waiting for those to open up. <laughs> oh, no. Ah, social media, good and evil. <laughs> well, this has been a wonderful joint cast, Lisette and everyone. Her book, again, Work Together Anywhere, and it certainly sounds like not only should you get the book, you should also find a workshop because she's probably coming to a location near you. Thank you again, Lisette Sutherland. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening today. If you've enjoyed the Chointcast, a positive iTunes review and kind word to your friends and colleagues would be most appreciated. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, hashtag Choint, C-H-O-I-N-Q-U-E. 
visit the bookshelf at www.joint.com. Want to enroll in a Leadership Excellence course? Visit my homepage at www.academyleadership.com. Stay energized.